Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. Okay, listeners, uh, welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. My guest today is Greg Lim. Uh, Greg is a former CMO at LifeLock and now leads Persosa, a leading personalization platform which collects specific user data to assist businesses in the creation of tailor-made marketing experiences. He is an established data analytics expert with relevant and timely knowledge on the current legislation and social concerns affecting the biggest data-based marketing strategies in the world. Greg, that sounds impressive. Thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that's a lot to live up to, and uh, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to hire you as my hype man. So I appreciate it. Earl. <laughs> hey, uh, we'll we'll talk about that offline. That sounds like a good plan. Um, before we get into to all of that, there, I want to start you off where I start off all of my guests on the show. When you hear people talk about responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Wow, a lot of things we could unpack there. I, I think of it. At the top level, there are a couple of things that immediately come to mind around that. One is treating your employees like family, right? I mean, you have a responsibility to a lot of people as a leader in an organization, but uh, none so more than your employees, right? That's they're the ones that drive the business. They're the ones that keep your customers happy. Um, you have a responsibility responsibility to them that you know you're leading them in the right direction and creating an environment where they can thrive and hopefully be successful and support their family. Um, I also think there's a second piece that comes to mind, and we can definitely dig into this a little bit deeper later, but really it kind of goes back a little bit to what we do is around delivering personalized experiences, is you have to understand who you are as a leader, but you also have to understand who your employees are and how to best communicate with them on an individual and personal level. One of the things that I've discovered, and I'm far from perfect at this myself by any means, but is that everyone responds differently. 
So it's not just about you and your leadership style, but it's about you and your leadership style relative to how your employees and how your team members like to be communicated with. Uh, and I think that's an absolutely critical piece that sometimes um, we can all be in danger of losing sight of. Yeah, no, I could not agree with you more on that. I'm just kind of curious because when you were answering that and you got to that piece, uh, you know, I could hear some some memories maybe churning around in your head there. Like, uh, if you got one, can you just share kind of an example of where you, you failed at that and what you learned from it? Um, You know, I think it's... Uh... Well, there are two two examples. I think the one the one positive example that I always try to live up to is you know I, you can probably hear the fact that I'm a bit of a funny talker, uh, born and raised in New Zealand, but uh, grew up here in the states the last thirty years. And I actually played rugby in college at the University of Arizona. And I remember right before a game, we used to have this one coach who would run around and yell at the players and get them hyped up. That kind of you know bang heads type of rah 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 coach and. It never really resonated with me, but there was a there's a second kind of assistant coach who just before every game he'd walk up to me and just look me in the eye and say, Hey Greg, I just need you to focus on doing one thing well today and here's what it is. And that just really uh, it really worked for me and it always reson resonated with me, you know, relative to everyone else was kind of getting hyped up, this rah 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 style, and I was a complete opposite. And I always thought it was so impressive that this one coach just realized that whatever it was for me, he had figured out what it was that got me motivated and got me really focused. So that's what I always try to aspire to. Um, but I would say kind of on, on the times, and to your specific question, the times that I've failed, I think especially as leaders, we're pulled in so many directions, and especially these days with COVID and working from home and you know, all of these other stresses that we have, it's easy just to kind of get stuck in a rut or just do the things you've always done and go on autopilot. And you know, I've been very guilty of that where I kind of, you know, you're going through employee conversations or employee reviews or feedback to employee in whatever manner that takes. And we kind of, we're doing it as a process rather than stepping back, taking a deep breath before each meeting. Who is this person? Why am I talking to them? What really motivates them? How can I really help them bring out the best in themselves and as a result, the best for this organization? And I think really, we wanna create processes around things so they can scale, but it can also encourage us to go on autopilot, which really isn't how we should operate as leaders when we're dealing with people. Well, no, and I think that is a great example, and I think that is a great uh, kind of segue, if you will, because you know you talk a lot about uh, business success being determined by how effective uh, you collect and use data. And you know what I hear in that story is that, that that second coach was able to do that. They were able to collect the data about the players and use it effectively to be able to reach uh, what uh, reach them more effectively. And I guess to some extent, the first coach did too. Because uh, some people do respond to that rah rah type, but mm -hmm. from a business aspect, you know what 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 does that look like for a business? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, when people ask me what I think about data, um, <laughs> given that we run a data driven organization and a data focused company, uh, I think the answers I generally give uh, surprise people is it's really not about data; it's about the people, right? I think. In today's society, we talk about more and more data and, and big data and algorithms and machine learning, and, and I believe in all of it, and it's all critically important to your business. But data isn't the point of anything we do. It's data in service to people 
and the needs that they have. And I think it's very easy to lose sight of that sometimes, right? You lose sight of the forest through the trees. Just, I'm gathering so much data. I have so many reports. These surveys are telling me so much about the customers when maybe sometimes you just have to pick up the phone and call a customer and just introduce yourself and tell them that you care about them and their business and ask them how they're doing and how you can help make them better. So I think data is very important, but remember data is only a tool. And so I think the thing we always try and ask ourselves is, right, how are we using data and why are we using data? And ultimately the answer has to be to better serve our customer. And if you ever lose sight of that last question, then and you're kind of in the point of data for data's sake, uh, you're probably not getting the types of results that you really want or need for your business. Oh, no, Greg, I, I love that. And and again, about that collection piece, like uh, it reminds me, and I think I've shared this on my podcast a couple of times before, but uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a couple of great TED Talks out there, but um, mm -hmm. he talks about, in one of them, he, he, he gives what I think is a great example of, of data collection, uh, not necessarily telling you the full story, where he says, if you survey 100 people, uh, what do they look for? and ask them, what do they look for in a cup of coffee? Most people are going to say, I want a rich, dark, hearty roast, because that's what the commercials sell you, a rich, dark, hearty roast. But if you give 100 people a cup of coffee, the first thing that they're going to do is put milk, sugar, and other flavorings in it. And so what they mm -hmm. really want is a milky, sugary coffee drink. But because you didn't ask the right question, you didn't get the right answers. And therefore, your data isn't really going to help you make decisions. And, and how often do you run into that scenario? Well, you know, it's kind of like it's a very similar uh, story to the one of, right, uh, if, I don't know if it actually happened or not, but right, Henry Ford, if Henry Ford, Ford had gone out and asked everyone what they wanted, they'd say a faster horse. And <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's the point of, right, what is the right question? But I also think as leaders, our job is hopefully – to lead people somewhere where they haven't gone. And if you're at a progressive or a kind of a startup environment, probably somewhere where maybe nobody has gone. And so I think it's really hard as a leader. One of the things that I struggle with, and I imagine other people on your as on your listeners do as well, is right, how do you how do you listen to people? How do you take that advice and feedback? But at the same time, you also have to trust your gut. Right. I want to take us somewhere where we haven't been, but I've asked people where they want to go. That's not exactly the answer they're going to provide. And so it's always this delicate balance of how do we look at kind of how do we look at data? But as much as that, I believe that you have to back and trust yourself and your team around you. Those are all critically kind of critically important inputs into any any decision that you're making for a team or an organization. Yeah, no, I could not agree more. And, and one thing you've already kind of touched on there is. It's never a question of if you have data in your organization, it's how much data you have. And, you know, with, with all the things that we have in our lives now with social media, our smartphones, um, you know, our cars, the Internet of Things is always collecting some type of data. Um, and we have these huge, huge pools of data. How can people set their business up uh, for success by, by making use of all of that data that's out there? Great question. What I would say is, before I, I'll circle back to your question, Earl, I think the media has really framed up data collection in kind of this scary manner that isn't truly representative of what's going on today. Um, now, there are some bad actors, so let's not, but at the same time, I don't want to focus on, on the 5%, right? So if you really look back, if you hear about, if you read a story on the paper or the article, it's this company's collected all of your data, they know everything about you, and as a consumer, 
I think that's, they're basically sitting behind me on the couch at night. They know what color my pajamas are. They know what I'm watching uh, you know, in my bedroom. It sounds really, really creepy, but that's, that's really not the reality of it. Um, or the other hand of it is you read all these business articles about data and all of the data we have, and it so, sounds so overwhelming and resource intensive, intensive that maybe you don't even start it because you don't know where to start in this process. And so really kind of how we approach data and kind of data collection is what's what's the business problem you're starting with? How do we better serve our customers? How do we use that data to give them a better experience that they want? And as a result of that, they build a better relationship with our business and ultimately, hopefully, engage by purchase our product when they're ready. I think mm -hmm. where, where I've seen people go wrong is one, I'm going to collect all of this data, as much data as possible, because it's all about the data. I think that's a flawed approach. Um, or let's call it a suboptimal approach. The second one is I want to sell more stuff. And that's why businesses exist to a degree. But the businesses that really thrive and do well, uh, although their actions are the same in terms of how they collect data, I think it's the mindset and approach that's different. So, right, the first group are gathering data for data set sake. The second group is gathering data because they want to sell more stuff. And the third group is gathering data because they actually want to use it to deliver experiences to their consumer that really delight them and engage them. And if you step back from that from an action perspective, all three of those groups are doing the same thing collecting data, but it's really only that last group that's really going to be able to actually unlock the value of the data that they're collecting because of the questions that they're asking, right? And so an example of this is one of the things we do at, at Pesosa is we help our customers, one, collect data and signals from all of their consumers, but then two, we help them use it to unlock that and give people personalized and differentiated experiences on their website. So the example is, Earl, you and I are different people. We go to a company's website, we get the exact same experience. That doesn't really make sense, right? You and I are different people. We have different wants. We have different needs, different reasons for interacting with, with that company. And wouldn't it be great if that company can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with us on their website about what we are interested in, products, services, et cetera? Oh, I, I like that. And, and... You know, you, you touched on something there and, and, and you're right. You know, a lot of there's a lot of scare uh, about how much data is being collected and who's listening and who's doing what. Uh, but it can be an extremely valuable asset for you, the 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 consumer, the user and the business is the provider for, for all the reasons you just stated. What are some ways that a business can be a little bit more open, transparent and authentic and protective of the data that they're collecting uh, for, for those that they serve. Yeah, well, one thing is obviously disclo disclose it. Let let your consumer know that you're collecting data if you are, right? Uh, these are actually requirements now, but they weren't, weren't as of a few years ago. But, right, just disclose it. But use it, I think it goes to that second step again. Use it in a manner that's meaningful. And what I mean by that is, if it, let's just pick a sports store. So, Right. Oh, I mentioned I played rugby at college. Maybe I get served up an ad for uh, rugby equipment. Uh, Earl, I don't know. What sports do you love watching? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, ironically enough, whenever I can catch it, I, I, I like watching rugby, American football. Uh, hockey is a big one for me. OK, well, let, let's say, right, you get served up an ad for hockey. I get served up an ad for rugby. We both click on those ads and we go to, let's say, Dick's Sporting Goods. 
And because it's basketball season, we get a picture of someone in the NBA playing basketball. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Right? The equivalent of that is imagine if you went on a date, you have this wonderful person that you're meeting for the first time, and they start to tell you about their interests and they say, listen, I really like to go hiking. Now, what should my response be? Assuming that I genuinely like hiking, I should say, well, you know, I like hiking as well. There are some really cool spots around here. Here's something we should do, right? I was listening to that person. I was giving them my attention. They said that they're interested in hiking. And as a result, I responded in kind. That's what should happen in a normal conversation. What's happening on a lot of times on our websites, and uh, we're not doing a great job on it, is in this case, they showed me an ad for rugby. I'm saying, I click on it, really saying I'm interested. You're clicking on an ad for hockey saying you're interested. And we show up and they're showing us pictures of the NBA because it's basketball season. Now, take that back to that dating example. That's like someone saying, oh, I really like to go hiking. I say, that's really nice. Let me tell you, I like to ride, my, like to ride motorcycles. Right? They kind of look at you like, were you even listening to anything I said? If that was a real date, right, they'd be calling Uber 10 minutes later or trying to call, crawl out the bathroom window because I was completely ignoring everything they were saying. And so what, what I feel like we've done is we've started to normalize this bad behavior online because of the limitations of technology. It is because historically it's been very hard to track data, to use it to deliver personalized experiences. We've accepted that it's okay for a business like a bad date just to talk about themselves and ignore everything that I have told them signaled about my intent by coming in from certain content, copy, ads, emails, etc. Um, and I know it's kind of not going off topic, but I know kind of around kind of responsible leadership. But I mean, these are the, the way you lead as an organization and the way you treat your employees where we started this conversation is the same way that you'd be treating your customers, right? They want to be treated as people. They want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. They want to know that you're listening to them about what it is that matters to them. And I think it's really important with technology today to leverage data and to leverage these platforms that are available to engage your audience on kind of a one-to-one -one level, no different than if you're having a face-to-face -face conversation with your employees. Yeah, no, uh, 100% in tying it back in. Yes, you know, and I hope my listeners are making that connection because, uh, you know, I know I have a lot of entrepreneurs on here. I know I have a lot of veterans that listen and, you know, veterans are, are starting companies, whether it's t-shirt companies, coffee companies, whatever it is, uh, kind of at the cyclic rate across the, the country. And, and these are, uh, you know, things that you're going to need to take into account. This is part of your leadership. It's not all just about the the people that's a huge piece of it but but these are those aspects that are going to help you be able to take care of those people because you're providing better services to your customer you're making more profits you're making more revenue and you're able to hire more people uh mm -hmm. so I, I love that example because you know again uh you you asked me the sports you know and i i led with rugby because you know you, you mentioned that but if i'm being completely honest uh, it's really more, I'm, I'm infatuated and you'll probably appreciate this being from New Zealand. Uh, I'm infatuated with the success behind, uh, the all blacks. So I don't really mm -hmm. like rugby. I, I like following the all blacks because of what they do and, and the success that they have. Um, and so I didn't give you a complete set of data. Uh, so you, you, you know, you would have just assumed, Oh, Earl loves rugby and start asking me all these questions about rugby. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, but you said you like rugby. And that's kind of what you're talking about here, right? Is, mm -hmm. is that type of connection. No, that, that's, that's exactly it, right? It's these behaviors that we have in, let's call it normal life, right? If we were face-to-face -face with people, 
for some reason we don't have that same type of engagement when people come to our website or via email and so it's really being thoughtful not just to use our website or technology the way it's always been used but how do we use it to best replicate a just a high level quality conversation and you know you'd mentioned all blacks there there's um uh, there's a I was going to say a theory. There, there's something that they do really well that they're pretty well they're known for recently, and it's a philosophy called sweeping the sheds as we talk about leadership, right? And so, and I'm making some generalities here, right? And lots of, especially American sports, but a lot, few, most sports around the world, it's the rookies carry the bags, right? Hey, rookie, go clean up the cones when we're done with practice, or carry the bags into the changing shed. And the All Blacks have a, a different philosophy. Um, and they call it sweeping the sheds, is at the end of every practice and after every game, the most senior level players sweep the sheds. They stay behind, especially when it's they're, they're visiting someone else's facility, is one, they always want to make sure that they leave the facility cleaner than when they found it, because it's a representative of their respect for their opponents, their respect for their game, just kind of the, the quality and attention to detail in terms of how they approach everything. And the second thing is they're not giving it to the rookies. This isn't a demeaning job. This is a important job and sets an example of the type of attention to detail and cleanliness and respect that all leaders should have. And obviously that gets mirrored down the organization. Whereas if you take those roles that are kind of undesirable and give them to kind of the newbies or the rookies, no one wants to do it and it creates a different attitude throughout their organization. But by having the leaders literally of one of the probably actually the most professional sports team in the history of the world sweep the sheds, clean up the changing room, do the things that no one else wants to do, it creates, it kind of flips the whole culture on its head around what it takes to be part of that organization. And I think it's very much represented in you know, the quality of the outcomes on the field uh, you know, over the last hundred plus years. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think that is a great concept. And, you know, again, but, uh, you know, so I, and let's go ahead and make a distinction here, right? Because, you know, a lot of people hear data and they think ones and zeros or, or, uh, you know, numbers or, or inventory or whatever, but, but what Greg is just talking about there is data. And, and we see this again, as you mentioned in, in a lot of American sports right now, where we're seeing more and more rookies kind of push back against that, well, you got to pay your dues, and they're they're actually telling folks, hey, it's time for change. We want whether they know that's what they're saying or not. We want a more all blacks type of of system of, of the sweep the sheds, and if we look at this data again, and you touched on this earlier already, and I just want want to kind of echo that. Getting to know the people, that's data. Finding out who has kids, who's having health issues, uh, who observes what religious uh, practices. You know, those are data that you can use just like the website that Greg talked about. But those are data sets that you can use uh, to create custom experiences for the folks who work with you. And and I think that's a big kind of crossover here with, with all of this is data is amazing, isn't it? Absolutely, it's all it's all about how we use it, though, right? Oh, I was gonna say, you know, you're you're exactly right. It's you know, when we say data, we think ones and zeros and spreadsheets, but it's just it's information, right? And it's it's information that can come in through a spreadsheet, through a database, but it can also come in through conversation and natural interactions. I think, you know, when you're when you're a leader, it's about taking the time and having using that data to understand 
how you want to communicate to your employees, what you want to communicate to them, but also how they want to be communicated to. And it's that same philosophy that you need to go ahead and apply you know, to, to your customers. Again, something as simple as are they coming, if you're selling t-shirts and they're coming to your, to your website from Indianapolis in January, you probably need to sell them a long sleeve t-shirt. But if they're coming from Arizona or Florida, maybe you want to talk to them in, about a short sleeve t-shirt, right? So it's just, it's really listening for these signals, whether they're uh, overt and direct through communication or an, or an employee or a customer explicitly giving you that information or other signals that they may come in just through whether it's body language in person or online, whether it's their IP address and they're coming in from Florida versus Indianapolis, for example. So it, data can be, everyone talks about being data driven, but it can also sound really intimidating. I'm not sure where to start. I'm so busy. I have all these other initiatives, but really data is just another signal or another piece of information. And I think there are some very easy and thoughtful ways that you can use it to better communicate to employees and or customers. Love it. So a lot of times when you go on a website, you know, maybe they have a survey or maybe they, uh, uh, they have a form for you to fill out or they want you to be a part of a, uh, uh, of a uh, subscription of some type, whether it's a newsletter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and those things can feel very impersonal and, and robotic and, and sometimes invasive. What are some ways that folks can go about ethically uh, collecting data that feel a little bit more personal? Yeah, I think on the personalization side, it's if someone is, it's a, it's a privilege for your customer to share that information with you. So if they've taken the time to not just X out, close out that pop-up, but they've actually given you information, said who they are, here's my email, maybe shared your certain products or services that they're interested in. I think where we drop the ball as business people generally, or marketers, or however you want to kind of define yourself is, you've we have, let's say hundreds, hopefully thousands of customers have given us this information. And it's clear from that information that they've shared that they're probably not all the same, right? Some are male or female, or they love this product, or they came in from this channel, or they were referred to your business by this influencer, or whatever the case is. And then what do we usually do? We turn around the next, maybe the next day, probably the next hour, the way things go these days, and we send them all the exact same email. So again, it's if if the customer has taken out taken the time to have that personal conversation and share something that we didn't previously know about them back to that example that they like hiking well when i send them an email it, pardon my french sure as hell better include something about hiking otherwise you're just going to lose them as a customer and so i think yes it takes a little bit more work but it's really around using technology again to go back to have those personal conversations so um what i would say you know, back to the specifics of your question, all is if it's just a pop-up says, hey, give me your email, or hey, I'm going to give you a 10% off coupon, that's that's the same, that every, every, same thing everyone else is doing. To make it feel less invasive, just be honest with them, say, hey, we want to get to know you better, and we're going to use this information to, one, improve our products and services, and if relevant, send you personalized communication about our products and services that you've said that you're passionate about, right? Be explicit with them. Let them know why you're asking. Hey, I'm not just asking you because I'm going to drop you into my same email blast with 10,000 other people, but I'm actually listening to your response because I care about you as a customer. And then when you respond, 
now this is assuming that you do this because you better follow through on your promises, but I know that if they say they're on product like product X, I'm going to put them in a segment for my emails that generally more re more commonly reference product X and maybe give them early insight as I roll out the next function and features around that product or service. And if they come in and say, listen, I'm really interested in product Y and here's why, let's go ahead and be a little bit more specific on our next communications around that. And so I think one, be explicit why you're asking and why they're going to get value. This is a value exchange. They're giving you something and they really want value back. So let them know what that exchange of value is, first off, uh, up front when you're asking and making that request. And then secondarily, when they do give you, they do share that privilege of giving you that information or insights about them, please make sure that you're using that in a more personalized and conversational manner that lets them know that you were actually listening to what they responded rather than just gathering data for data's sake. No, and, and I love that last piece. And it's a great segue into my next question because, you know, earlier I talked about getting to know your people. Do they have kids or their health issues? Um, you know, what religious observances, you know, there's laws in place that prevent you from coming out and like asking those questions directly. And, mm -hmm. and I have to caution folks when I'm giving classes on that. But those are things that you learn by, by you know, having a lunch with them and having meaningful conversations and, and just, you know, getting to know them. They're going to share those things about themselves with you kind of organically. Um, mm -hmm. Now, we mentioned earlier you, you stay up on all of the latest uh, legislation. Um, with all of the new rules, and I'm sure they probably are changing by the minute uh, with everything going on, but with all the new rules, like what are some of the privacy concerns and, and legal aspects that uh, folks listening need to be aware of when they're trying to collect this data and personalize these uh, experiences? Yeah, well, let me, before I jump to that, I'm going to go back to that last comment you made about you know, giving the example of how many kids do you have or what's your religious preference. One thing that I've learned over the last five years of running this business is intent trumps demographics. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter if you're a 20-year-old kid, I guess I'm yeah, a 20-year-old person, uh, in Cal a male in California, or a 65-year-old female grandmother in Florida. If you both, if they both click on the same ad, there was something in that ad or that content or that email that grabbed their attention from the offer to the imagery, to the language that you were using, to the story that you told there. And so uh, it's not really as much to me about demographics like i don't need to know that you have three kids drive a minivan have two and a half dogs you know, whatever you know whatever the all the usual persona stuff is but what is the content the, an easy signal or an easy way to listen quote unquote to your consumers is what content drove them to your site and whatever it was in that content ad email google search etc when they come to your website that's the adjacent or similar content that they should be seeing when they engage with your brand Right? It could also be, are they a first time visitor to my website? You want to introduce them to the brand? Or is, there, is this their actual fifth time to the site and they've made multiple purchases? Why do we treat those people the same? And so uh, there's so much data. I guess where I'm going with this, Earl, is that there's so much low-hanging fruit and valuable data that you can gather without ever starting to cross into that um, you know, religion, kids, mother's maiden name, I need your social security and blood type. Right? That's, that's the stuff that gets scary. Is It's not... This isn't a binary conversation of data being good or data being bad. There is so much data that you can gather and use in a meaningful manner to delight your customers without ever getting close to that third rail. 
Um, and then you know, circling back to your question, then, you know, what do we have to have to know about data? Um, I think there are probably two big things that are, um, your consumers, uh, sorry, listeners need to be aware of around connecting, uh, collecting consumer data. First, um, in the uh, in the UK and sorry, the EU specifically, there's GDPR, which is all about consumer data privacy. Um, and in the US, we have CCPA, which is the uh, California equivalent of that. Um, between GDPR and CCPA, they cover about 10% of the world's population. Uh, within the next two and a half years, that number is going to go up to 65%. So the long and the short of it, uh, the key takeaway there is that consumer privacy is may feel like we're already aware of it. It's going to be a lot more um, onerous and it's going to be a lot more at the forefront throughout the world. So one, be really uh, clear that you are disclosing if you're uh, collecting data and two, if your business does kind of cross internationally, you have to be very aware of it because um, some of the laws, fines, etc., are very different. So one, just be thoughtful that wherever you feel today, uh, it's only going to get a lot worse from just having to be uh, up in front of legislation. Um, the second thing I would say is the, the biggest shift in marketing today is, um, I, I don't want to go too far down a marketing rabbit hole for the, the, the people here that aren't technical marketers, but uh, there's something called third-party cookies. And third-party cookies are basically what allows companies to track you and your activity across different websites. Basically, it's the foundation for the last 20 years of how digital marketing has worked and how people run targeted ads uh, against you as a consumer. Um, Apple has basically ended support in their browsers for third-party cookies. It's still available in all of the Google browsers. That's going away over the next 12 to 18 months. And so there's a huge shift from using what people call third-party data, which is data that you're just collecting uh, as people go along other people's websites, to a real focus on first-party data, which is data that you own through your direct interaction with your customers, primarily on your website or other channels that you own. And so uh, what that really means is it's going to become most likely more expensive uh, to buy digital advertising, or if it's the same price, it's going to be less effective over the next 12 to 18 months. And so as a important marketing strategy, uh, all businesses should be understanding what they need to do in terms of owning their own first party data, doing a better job tracking consumers as they come to their website and their properties, and then figuring out how to best use that data. I highly recommend through personalization as one of the primary channels, but to use that data to delight their customers, increase engagement and ultimately revenue. And so um, those are really the two big takeaways. One. Uh, consumer privacy laws are just going to get more onerous and they aren't going away anytime soon. And two, whatever you're paying for marketing today is going to get a lot more expensive in the next 18 months. And so you need to find ways to counteract that. And the primary focus uh, way to address that is really owning your own customer data and be able to use that in a personalized and effective manner to ultimately engage and drive revenue. Oh, that is that is good information, especially the the changes in the 12 to 18 months. Um now, maybe you, you've already answered it with that, but I'm, I'm going to ask the question this way, and, and uh, maybe you have a little different take there. But if you were to identify one, two, maybe three uh, big red flags where you see companies, um, whether it is legally or, or morally, uh, struggle with their data collection, 
what would those things be? So listeners here, if they're making those, they can stop doing that right now. Yeah, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, I'm going to give you an answer, which is I'm not sure. And the reason is data isn't really visible. So if someone is doing something bad or collecting data or doing something unusual with it, it's usually not visible to the public. Um, so I don't really have an answer in terms of things that I've seen. Uh, what I would do is flip the question a little bit. And I think there are some just uh, there are some leading questions that you should ask yourself to make sure that you have a good data framework. Um, so some basic things. Are you disclosing to your customers that you're collecting data? Uh, if you're not, I think that's a fundamental problem. Uh, two, do you actually know why you're collecting data? Is it truly in service to the customer? Right, really kind of uh, refining that. And then the third thing, and this is kind of going back to my you know my eight year, almost eight years over at, back at LifeLock, is um, if you are collecting data, uh, you better make sure that it's stored somewhere secure and encrypted. Uh, because the last thing you want to have is a data breach, which are coming up, becoming unfortunately more and more common. So one, make sure that you're disclosing collecting data. Two, if you are collecting data, make sure there's a reason that you're doing it. Don't just collect data for data's sake. I think one, that ensures that you have kind of a, a moral compass in terms of what you're doing with the data, uh, but it also ensures that you're not collecting a whole bunch of data that you don't actually need because there is risk to it, going to my third point around making sure that data that you do collect, collect is a secure and encrypted manner uh, so that you avoid any kind of risks around you know, data breaches and kind of all of the scary fines and things that come along with that. Okay, good deal. No, sorry to put you on the spot like that, but... Uh, no, no, not at all. I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I always like to kind of find out a little bit more, especially when, when I hear an organization with an interesting name like Persosa. Uh, where does that name come from? I wish I had some fantastic origin story. The reality is, was, uh, you know, we, we wanted something around personalization. We wanted something around personas. And uh, the website Persosa was available, so it was as close as we came, and we kind of ran with it. It's, uh, you know, it's like if you're starting a business these days, you need a need a, obviously a good web presence, and it seems like almost every website's been squatted on for the last decade or so. So it just happened that it was close enough to what we were looking for, and uh, we we just ran with it. No, I love it. Uh, that that's that's a great uh, that's a great story. I actually. Um... Uh, heard uh, recently, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and give a shameless plug to Guy Raz and the How I Built This podcast, even though they're not sponsors or anything, but uh, of how Sarah Blakely came up with uh, Spank's uh, name. And, and it was actually somewhat similar uh, to that. So you may, may be onto something there. You never know. Well, if we make it as big as Spank's, I'll, uh, I'll be in good company. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so... This all sounds, you've given us a lot of great information here and my listeners are probably sitting here like, Oh my God, Earl, you know, I'm, I'm just got out of the, the, the military. I don't have all of this support staff around me. This is this data collection. This just sounds like a lot. Like what can they do to help manage this data collection a little bit more effectively? Yeah. So Two things. One, going kind of full circle back to some of our earlier conversations is 
take a step back from the data, right? If you don't have a way to collect first-party data, you don't have a database, that isn't your core competency. There are, you know, I think Earl, you said before, data is this information, right? There are other ways to collect data. The most important thing you can do in any business is understand your customer. So don't even think about this as data at scale. I'm not going to collect 12,000 data points on every customer who comes to my website. At a bare minimum, make it a goal over the next week to pick up the phone and call five of your customers, or if you're starting a business, five of who would be your prospective customers, and just try and talk to them for five or 10 minutes. How are things going? What do they love about your product? What don't they like? What things would make them happier if you could provide them? And I think that's just a phenomenal first step of collecting data without it being overwhelming. And honestly, it's gonna endear you to your customers and create a customer for life just by looking at data from that perspective, not kind of a ones and zeros perspective. Um, the second thing I would say is your consumers are already sharing this data with you. It's not, again, it's not necessarily about collecting and storing in a database, but they're giving you signals. So when someone's coming to your website, did they come in from that email that you sent? Well, make sure that your email is tagged with, uh, well, we won't go into too much detail, but you know, there's, there's some common tags on emails called you know, UTM parameters you can put in the links, you can tag your emails, so that you know if someone clicked through that email A versus email B, what was the subject, what was the content of that email that drove them to your website? Which Facebook ad did they click on? Was it the one with the 20% offer and you know this specific product? Or was it the one talking about how you guys have been industry leaders for the last five years and featuring product B? Right? And use that information to then deliver that next touch point via email on your website, on a landing page, etc. So again, um, to your question, this can sound overwhelming, just really step back, have conversations, pay attention to your analytics, see what content is driving people to your website. And I think that's really the easiest way to start this conversation without it feeling kind of overwhelming and making it about data or you know, maybe deep technical skill sets that a lot of us don't have, myself included. No, I love that. That's good information. Um, well, Greg, look, we've been chatting here for about uh, 40 minutes or so, and this has been an outstanding discussion. You've given me a lot of great information. I know you've passed on a lot of great information to the listeners of the show here, uh, but I'm just curious, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you really want to leave listeners with before we close out here? You know, I'm going to circle all the way back uh, to your question about, uh, what it, you know, about leadership and, and my definition around it. I think one of the things that we've talked about is you know, how do we be a good leader how do you better communicate with your employees? I think one of the things that I've seen in my career is that when we do get to someplace successful as leaders, a lot of us stall out, and I've been guilty of that myself. And what I mean by that is at LifeLock, I was there for eight years, and there were about four phases of growth throughout the company. And it was unfortunate that there were times that the company outgrew some of those earlier employees, right? You want to be loyal to them, they're the people that got you here they weren't able to grow with the company. And so I think uh, an important part of about being a successful leader isn't just about leadership and communication with your employee, but it's about being a leader in your own life, making sure that you continue to grow, develop, evolve your skills. So one, you can be a better leader and help others, but also that you can also grow with your business. You don't ever want to get to a point where your business or your company outgrows you and you can't keep up because you're stuck in a spot that you've defined yourself as this is who I am and I'm successful today. Well, that's great for today, but tomorrow, next week, a couple of years from now, 
being in that same spot may not be what you need personally, what the company needs for you or your employees need. And so uh, the one kind of um, lesson I'd try and leave with your listeners is, you know, it's not just about being a leader in the context of leading an organization. It's about leading your own life and making sure that you continue to grow and evolve on a regular basis as well. And given the fact that they're listening to your po podcast, Earl, I'm sure that's the mindset that most of the listeners have anyway. But I do think it's important to remind ourselves because we all get busy, we get stuck in a rut, we just try and cope and struggle through and get through day to day occasionally. But we all need to take a chance to step back, look in the mirror and say, hey, have I really grown in the last week, last month, last year, and make sure that we're leading ourselves as much as the people around us. That is outstanding advice. I, I love that. That is has a really uh, great way to to kind of bring it home there, Greg. I love that. So uh, listeners, I'm sure that you probably have uh, a ton of questions. I'm sure you probably want to find out more information. Uh, I'm sure that, that uh, you want to find out more about Greg. So Greg, what are some ways uh, that folks can, can find out more about you, Persosa, all these data things that we've been talking about? Yeah, a few different ways. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Gregory Lim. Um, but like I said, I just like talking to people. I'm old school. So just shoot me an email at greg, G-R-E-G, at persosa.com, P-E-R-S-O-S-A. Uh, if you shoot me an email, I'll be happy to respond to any questions that you have about data, personalization, leadership, any of the things that we've touched on today's podcast. Happy to dive in deep and uh provide any feedback or knowledge that I can. Definitely don't know all the answers, but I got a long list of mistakes to avoid that I'm always happy to share. Um, and then the last thing is go to persosa.com slash podcasts. Uh, we do have some uh, resources there around, specifically around data, personalization, what's happening in the industry, uh, some good kind of entry level topics to get people kind of up to speed on uh, what's happening in the industry if they think it might be uh, relevant to them. Oh yeah, outstanding. I checked out a couple of those uh, you had a, I think it was a marketing webinar or something like that uh, not too long ago. Uh, you had a YouTube video up on there that was was pretty good. Uh, I highly recommend checking all those out, and we'll have those links uh, in the show notes there so you can get to those more easily. Greg, again, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate having you on the Responsible Leadership Podcast, sharing all the knowledge you have uh, with my listeners. I know they got a ton of value out of it. Thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Oh, thank you so much for your time as well. It was a real pleasure. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab, an Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.